So two very short readings. It's really one is a, a two-line quote from John's Gospel, and the other one is Yogananda's short commentary on that quote. It starts out with truly, truly, and whenever a rabbi in the time of Jesus begins uh, a talk with truly, truly, it means this is really important, like really important. So truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In Yogananda's brief commentary, Jesus would have us know that only the sacrifice of the ego can bring resurrection to the soul. When you surrender the personal egoic consciousness and become absorbed in the presence of the Christ consciousness within, you begin to experience eternal life now. So let me just say from the beginning when Jesus says, unless the grain of wheat falls to the ground, it remain, remains alone and can't produce fruit. He's not a sadist. He's not a mas masochist. He's not celebrating suffering. All of the world's spiritual teachers, in some way, shape, or form, tell us that the goal of the spiritual life is to die before we die. So what does that mean? Far too often, we are not living from our souls or from our depths. We are living from the surface self or the egoic consciousness. And to the degree that we are living from the surface self or egoic consciousness, we suffer. How do I know that? Look at the world. The world is living from its surface self, and therefore there's a lot of suffering. The world as a whole is not living from the soul, the essence, that divine spark, the divine image. So what Jesus is getting at is the spiritual life is about letting go, moving from egoic consciousness, from the surface self to something deeper. See, when we're living from the egoic, the ego and from egoic consciousness, the essence is that we experience ourselves as being alone. Jesus even uses the word alone. He said, unless the grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. When we're living out of egoic consciousness, we are living as separate beings, as separate persons. The burden of our lives fall squarely on our shoulders. It's up to us, our little minds, our little egos, to figure life out, to solve all the problems that we face to navigate through life. And it's a recipe for a tremendous sense of uh, 
feeling insufficient and inadequate because the egoic personality was never meant to handle all of life's challenges. It just wasn't. It can't. The other thing that happens when we're living from that egoic consciousness, not only do we feel the burdens of life squarely on our shoulders, we also feel a sense of emptiness. And so what do we do? We move either towards the world and try to fill that hole in our soul with something, with power, with pleasure, with prestige, material things, and it never really works. Or we close in on ourselves and live as prisoners within our own limited perspectives and within our own limited heart. And we suffer. We're not meant to live that way. And the good news is that we don't have to live that way. None of us. So what does that have to do with a grain of wheat? Well, let me kind of give you the mechanics of a grain of wheat. The, the grain of wheat, within, the, within the, the center, the core of the grain of wheat is this spark of life, the germ of life. But it's covered over by a hard shell. And unless that hard shell cracks open, it's not going to produce any life. It's not going to produce wheat. It's not going to produce fruit. So that shell represents the ego that imprisons us. And that shell has to be cracked open. And how does it work with a grain of wheat where the farmer puts the, the seed in the ground, the grain of wheat, and the warmth of the sun begins to soften the shell, the light of the sun softens the shell, the soil becomes an irritant that softens the shell. And then the water, the moisture, softens it more so that it can eventually crack open. So again, the shell is a metaphor for the ego. What cracks open the ego? Same thing for us. First of all, the irritation that comes from suffering cracks open, helps to crack it open. The warmth of the sun is symbolic of God's love. So love and compassion is one of the other ingredients that cracks open the ego. And then the soil that irritates it is, or the water that softens it, is the truth. So let me put this in a very practical context. Most of you know I'm a psychotherapist. And when somebody comes for counseling, typically they're suffering. Okay? So there's some cracking of the shell. They don't come for counseling because they're happy. Secondly, the only way that counseling works is if the counselor can give some level of unconditional acceptance, compassion, love. See, that softens the shell, the egoic shell. And when somebody knows that they're loved and that they're in love, they can begin to let go. But then there's a third ingredient, which again is like the sun. It's truth. 
people get better in therapy because they face truths that they don't want to face. The ego cracks only in the face of suffering or pain or limitation and in the context of love, which helps people to feel safe and to let go of all the egoic defenses. And then truth is the light that penetrates and begins to grow that germ. That's how it works. So I want to talk about what that process looks like and how we can nurture it. Now I'm going to use three terms and I'm probably going to use them a little bit different in a different way than you're used to hearing them. And these terms are not techniques. You can't, you can't open them up and use them in a technical sense. They're, it's the heart that has to work them. So the first one is inspiration. So what do I mean by inspiration? Inspiration is when we begin to think with God. Inspiration is when we begin to think with the guru. Inspiration is when we begin to think with the inspiration that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's like our little minds open up to the great mind, and then we begin to think together. That's inspiration. Let me give you some concrete examples. Again, a lot of times in my therapy practice, I try to hold a degree of silence, but inwardly, I will often pray. Help me to be helpful. Help me to know when to speak and not to speak. Give me the words that will help them. Do you see, it's my little mind opening up to the great mind. And if you're sincere, then you begin to think with the intelligence that runs the universe. You begin to think with the divine mind. You think with God and a guru. That's inspiration. And again, simple way we get there is through humility, acknowledging that we need to think with a higher intelligence than our own. And it's as simple as asking. It's as simple as prayer. You've heard me say this many times. When you're in a difficult situation, stop. Even if it's just for a second, go into that silence and ask for guidance. Ask what is the most loving and truthful and intelligent thing that you can do. And inspiration will come to you. And the more you do it, the more it comes. You're thinking with God, so to speak, and you know how to tra traverse then through difficult situations. That's inspiration that cracks the shell and, and grows that divine seed inside of us. The second thing is not inspiration. It's vision. Now, vision is a little different than inspiration. It's not visualizing with your mind. Don't go there. That has its place, but that's a psychological operation for the most part. Vision is when we are in a state of calm and silence and our hearts are pure. We want the highest good. We want truth, beauty, and goodness. We want God's will. It's a more passive place. 
See, an inspiration we're actively working with. And vision, we're quiet, we're listening, we're open. In the best sense, we're passive. And then what happens from, from the heavens, something gets imprinted on our psyche and in our souls. And sometimes we don't understand it. Sometimes we don't have the full picture. Let me give you again some examples. Years before we bought this building, there were a number of us praying. And this vision and meditating, and in that silence, that vision came that we should have a building. Now, this building didn't come right away. We looked at other places. We almost bought another place. I'm glad we didn't buy it. The deal fell through at the last minute. But that vision stayed alive. Again, could we completely understand it, see the details of it? No. And then one day we get a phone call, and the guy says, I have a building to sell you. I'll hold the, I'll hold the mortgage, no money down. Do you want it? Yes. But that came because collectively enough of us were in a place of silence and stillness. And then God could plant the vision that God wanted to unfold for us. So silence opens us to that vision. I'll give you one more example. Francis of Assisi, you've heard this story a million times, but it captures this process perfectly. He's kind of in a broken state, but he's doing a lot of meditating. He's in silent meditation before the cross of San Damiano, right outside of Assisi, Italy. And then the vision comes. Francis, rebuild my church. Can't you see it's crumbling? And Francis didn't perfectly understand it right away. He started physically rebuilding churches. But clearly, the full vision was rebuilding the Catholic church that was in great turmoil at that time. So it's a purity of heart. It's wanting the highest good. And it's listening and it's listening. It's silence and silence. And then the Holy Spirit, the Divine Mother, will imprint our souls and our psyches with the vision we need for our lives. The third piece, I'm going to use it in a completely different way than most of you are used to hearing it. It's intuition. Now, most often when we think of intuition, we think of psychics, you know, picking things up. And at a lower level, that's intuition. But if you go to the, to the depth and to the purity of what in, intuition is, it is yielding to something else. It is merging with something beyond yourself. All right, so how does that tie into this whole thing of the grain of wheat and, and letting go of the ego? Again, I'll just share something from my own life that I think captures this. I remember many years ago going to a spiritual mentor and saying, you know, I know there are moments when I'm operating from my soul or myself with a capital S, but I can't hold it. It's not stabilized. And I remember what he said to me. He used this analogy. You know what a sieve is? It's like a container that is, is, it doesn't have a bottom. It's an open bottom. 
And he, what he said to me was, what you're trying to do is you're trying to pour water into the sieve. The water is this higher consciousness, but it keeps on pouring out. You're trying to squeeze God consciousness into your egoic personality, and it can't hold it for long. It falls out. What do I do? He said, well, you got to take the sieve and just throw it in the water. And then it's always filled with water. I said, well, okay, how do I do that in my life? And he said to me, he asked me this question. He said, well, when do you experience this grace, this higher consciousness? I said, well, often when I'm with my clients. And then he said, well, because when you're with your clients, you're really not thinking a lot about yourself. You're at the service of your clients. He said, my guess is you are just trying to love them. And I said, yes. And then he said, why don't you just stay in that state all the time? He wasn't saying treat everybody like they're your client. But in every and all situation, just be an instrument of love. He said, then your little self will fall by the wayside and that larger, that higher consciousness will become the dominant consciousness in your life. A very parallel thing that Roy Davis told me, a direct disciple of Yogananda, and Roy uh, initiated me and ordained me. Roy said to me, never forget that you're a teacher. Now, what he, he didn't mean pontificate all the time. What he meant was, in any and all situations, all situations, your calling is to bring light into the world, to be God's presence in the world. That's how we throw the sieve in the water. I'll give you one other way of thinking about it. It's good to imagine what being self-realized, God-realized would look like. It's good to imagine it. It's good to feel it. You can actually get a little sense of it through what we call spiritual imagination. So spend time thinking about what would it be like to be fully God-realized, to be fully enlightened, and feel it, get a sense of it. Then when you go into situations, hang on to that feeling. Hang on to that sense. It's as simple as this at one level. Wherever you are, whoever you are with, stay anchored in your heart. Stay anchored in your soul. Stay anchored in truth, beauty, and goodness. It took them two hours to get my tooth out today. It's a lot of digging. And, you know, there were moments where I would get anxious, and tighten up, and what I just kept on coming to was God, Christ, Guru. God, Christ, Guru. That's just another way of staying anchored there. 
And you can get to the point where that God Christ guru is praying itself while you're engaged with life. I'll close with it. That's intuition. And no technique can get you there. It's just a willingness to surrender to truth, beauty, and goodness, to surrender to the divine, to have your lower self bow to your higher self. So I'm going to close with just two quotes. One is from, actually I'll close with three quotes, sorry I lied. From the Bhagavad Gita, the ninth chapter. Krishna says to Arjuna, Give me your mind and your heart, your offerings and your adoration, and thus with your soul in harmony, in making me, God and Guru, the supreme goal, you shall in truth come to me. We become what we love, that's intuition. Second quote is from Ananda Moyama, the great incarnation of the Divine Mother. Lose yourself altogether when bowing down to God with a single-minded devotion. You will obtain joy and power in proportion. If you cannot do anything else, at least in the morning and in the evening and at the appointed time, lay down your body, mind, and life before him. And salutation and surrender. Even just thinking of him a little moves us in that direction. And the last quote, a wise person told me this many years ago. God says to us, it's a great trade. Give me your mind, and I will give you my heart. Give me your will, and I will give you the peace that surpasses all understanding and everything else you need to be victorious in life. The divine in me bows before the divine in each one of you.